on December 30, 2013. National Pointing the Advocate, Mark Hinkle, was on The Ed Till Show, syndicated on the Starcom Radio Network. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Mark. Ed Till, nice to have you back on the show. The Ed Till Show heard coast to coast all around the world. Nice to uh, have you back on the subject, as you know, is not only your expertise, but uh, plunged back into the headlines. The courts continue to reconfigure what is the American household, marriage structure, etc. And it would seem to be going in your direction. But, Mark, you're a national polygamy advocate, not a national gay marriage advocate. Gay marriage is right there on the front. Are you inevitably captured in that wave of change? Or does your issue exist outside of this wave of converting marriage in America? Do you think? It's an ironic thought process, and not that you've presented, but others have presented it long before you, uh, that supposedly same-sex marriage is a slippery slope to polygamy. But the reality, when you really look at it, is that anti-polygamy was the real slippery slope that led to same-sex marriage. And that we actually call for removing government from the licensing, defining, and controlling of the contractual arrangements that consenting adults make. So that if government had not been first redefining marriage to exclude polygamy and was not even involved in the marriage business, then those pursuing the legal process and the new modern legal construct of same-sex marriage wouldn't even have bothered, wouldn't have cared to, wouldn't have had a reason to, and there would be no such thing as same-sex marriage short of what people choose to imagine themselves together doing. So really... Oh, great, yeah, right, great uh, alignment there. Let me just remind people, Mark's been with us before, a national polygamy advocate and founder of Truth Bearer. Dot .org. Mark speaks on all forms of consenting adult polygamy, established voice of the national polygamy rights movement for consenting adults. I wanted to get all that in there. Uh, Thank you for that. And, and you can also get a hold of me at nationalpolygamyadvocate.com, too. Oh, thanks. Okay, good. So I want people to know they can reach out to you even during the interview, drop you an email, uh, reach out. Here's the thing. You said it a moment ago. Uh, government, I think, in your opinion would have no role in defining marriage. Like you show up at the courthouse and say, you know what, here's our marriage. Uh, would you just give it a quick benediction that you recognize it, list it so you know it's... But I craft it, and you just rubber stamp it that I brought it to town hall, rather than any uh, definition under the law being given. Is that, would that be best that there were no definition? Just I, I would agree with that. Essentially, the only legitimate role for government is at the municipal level as a repository of the contractual arrangements that consenting adults make. Right. Because then you have enforcement of contracts. That's right. But you would have to have that first thing, uh, which is easy, I think, today, uh, no minors. Right. We, we have to have some kind of consensus about... Because we do, do we still have a patchwork? If you go all over America, do you have the majority at 15, and 16, and 18? And is there that uh, still patchwork, or have we lined up now? And maybe some common sense can come to the holistic approach here. You know what I mean? Like, or is it all patchwork? Well, there is a patchwork of different variations of state polygamy laws that ban polygamy uh, in different ways. 
For example, the in Utah, specifically the recent decision on December 13th, the Brown v. Buman case, what that had done is, in the state of Utah, it had struck down the cohabits prong and limited the purports prong so that de facto polygamy is now effectively decriminalized while de jure polygamy remains a crime. Essentially what that simply means is that before Utah used to be able to use what, you know, the Utah tools of tyranny to go in and say someone just cohabiting or purporting to be a polygamist, they could use that to say you're a polygamous marriage, that's a crime, and then criminalize it. Now what the decision in Utah has said is that, you, that Utah can't use the cohabitation prong anymore to just say because you're cohabiting you look like you're polygamous, we're going to call you polygamous and then say you are and then criminalize it. What it's now saying under this new decision is only those with multiple legal marriage licenses are, remain criminalized. So it's de jure polygamy is still a crime, but which means under the law or recognized by law, whereas de facto polygamy, polygamy without multiple marriage licenses, is no longer a crime in the state of Utah. Other states... Yeah, let me make sure even the audience and I both are getting it. Du jour, we think of, uh, you know, soup du jour, what's the soup of the day? What's the marriage du jour? How does that go again? Well, de jour versus de facto are terms in law, in the law itself. And basically de jour means by law. Or, or or recognized by law, whereas... Recognized by law. The other one is ad hoc, and I got you. Okay. Right, not recognized by law. So the idea being is that most de fact, most polygamists around, around the country are de facto polygamists, where only the first wife has a legal marriage license because effectively states won't give all the marriage licenses. Now, with that said, it's important to clarify the, the difference between honest consenting adult polygamy versus what can be described as dishonest bigamy. The idea of, say, uh, an airplane pilot who goes out and gets a marriage license with one woman in Chicago and another right. one in that's Florida. That's, right. that's I fraud. Saw, I saw that. That's actually a real, a real story. So and yes, that, what about, how do you protect against that? And that's a fraud. And absolutely, that's what fraud. we call dishonest bigamy. Okay, fraud. So it's on the, that's been on the books since day one, fraud. You misrepresent then obviously you have no... Problem. Sure. And that's de jure polygamy. That, that's because they've got multiple marriage licenses. So most, most polygamists who are honest don't go about the process of getting multiple marriage licenses so are effectively de facto polygamists, which means they are factually existing but not recognized by law. That's it. All right. Now, now I want to move to, I think, an issue that we could uh, make it real for people. Because, you know, polygamy is an exotic idea when you bring it up on a show, unless you know people who are living it or you're involved. So it sounds like way out there. Most of the marital difficulty in America is, you know, the getting along and reconcilable differences, et cetera, et cetera. It's hard, it's very difficult for people to imagine if they're on their second marriage, and even that one they have to work at. They say, how could this possibly be? I can't even handle one woman, 20 years we've been together, we have kids. There's still things I don't know this is still, you know, um, a work in progress. Is it realistic that there would be actual wives like the like the uh, monogamists know of? There's going to be three of these in the house, and this could be, or is it going to be like the TV show? They have to be separated somewhat. Could you make it real? What's real polygamy like? Not HBO polygamy and not theoretical polygamy. Actual, practical. Well, typically... While you know different families and their dynamics do things and make the choices as their particular consenting adult relationship 
defines and what works for the dynamics of the different types of people and personalities involved. But generally speaking, it is actually, from my perspective, and certainly others who believe in multiple houses or that type of a setup may disagree, and that's fine because we're talking about you know, unrelated consenting adults choosing what works best for them. But from my perspective, that it is more functional and easier to operate with the family all together in a single or next-door neighbor situation, housing situation, but best, best of all, if it can be within the same house, because you've got the interaction of dynamics between each other that the adults are all in support of each other and that it's not a, uh, you know, just the general thought process that everybody's all under the same roof and the, the idea of, you know, we know we're all safe and sound and everybody can go to sleep knowing everybody's well and fine. And Right, you are really describing now, like, the family security feeling mm-hmm. coming to with multi-spouses uh, and whatnot. Right. So that's interesting. You do eliminate the, you know, I, mean, I don't really know what he's doing when he's not here. We're all together, we're in it. How about managing, you know, I mean, from high school, it's almost imp- impossible to manage your girlfriend's emotion. And now you're going to go through your adult years with maybe three personalities, you know, the talkative one quiet one, the, the one who needs to talk a lot to you, the one who's some, you know, these are such big projects in real life. How does that work together? Do they wind up being similar gamers? Well, and, 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 or how to, again, in real life examples, not theoretical. I think that it actually becomes a more functional and easy to work together circumstance when the different personalities are unique and separate individuals. Uh, you know, I've, I've often used the example of uh, where one woman in the house actually prefers to do laundry and another house, woman in the house prefers to cook and it's just what they prefer to do for the chores so they make an agreement and say, I'll do the laundry all the time, I'll do the cooking all the time. They specialize and they don't have to do chores they don't like. Or something. I mean, now, see, this to me is maybe the more interesting side of polygamy. I understand there's a, you know, an R-rated, but man, we all know from relationships, that is never nearly the sum total of the relationship. The relationship's all about who's there, who likes what, who does what, who's happy, what makes them happy. All right, now, the other area. You said earlier, government shouldn't really have the role saying what works and what doesn't here. Um, should there be a societal agreement? Because the other civilizations in the past, historians will say to you, you know, they didn't have enough glue to keep them together when they got very diversified and far-reaching. And this suggests less glue, you know, because you'll have one with one wife and one with five and one with three. And before you know it, but you know, uh, what they call them now, unintended consequences, like Obamacare saying, you know what's really going to happen down the line. What's your thought about that? When other civilizations have not made it, people bring up that the man, woman, child, Troika, broke down, and soon thereafter, the other glue can kind of refute that a little bit. What is your reason to believe that any kind of configuration at home could make a society flourish? Well, I think that I, I consider myself from a, from a political standpoint as what I call an anti-socialist, as in anti-socialism, and that 
the the Marxian idea of one for each so that each might have one is is something that leads as all socialism leads to mediocrity the enforcement of one man one woman has effectively dumbed down men so that we are at a place now that we are in the era of dumbed down males where you know males live as uh, hyperextended post adolescences into their 30s and we, we we have a marriage phobic males and abandoned single moms and i think that's the consequence of imposed socialism because that's really what one man one woman is it is an imposed one three, so they each might have one Karl Marx marital socialism that has in, dumbed us down and led to that mediocrity instead of having a laissez-faire free market where men are incentivized to be so good that women would choose them. As Dr. Joyce Brothers said back in 94, she said she would rather be the third wife of a good man than the only wife of a jerk. So if you incentivize men to become better, that gives women a better choice because at the end of the day, with, contrary to what most people think when it comes to polygamy or marriage in general, women choose the man. Women choose the female. Well, we guys, we have our testosterone little boy peeing contest, but the women choose us. Mark Henkel is our guest, National Polygamy Advocate. Uh, now, the website that I don't have in front of me, you want to say, is nationalpolygamyadvocate.com? Correct. Very good. In addition to that, truthbearer.org, and it's a very provocative subject. See, right there, what I hear is in practical terms. Uh, people find what works for them. But is there something, too, that it's more... Like, the society can't just be a collection of all the wish lists being lived out side by side, or there is no uh, civilization, or there is no, I mean, what are the overarching, you know, steel beams, if you will, the foundational uh, pillars of a society where everybody's configuring based on their own individual level of comfort, rather than you know, group goals is what we're, we've been doing this for 100 years, and even though we're adding stuff and we're doing it better, we haven't lost sight of what we've been doing. What about that side of it? Is that is that just dated thinking? Am I just sounding like an old guy who's out of step, or is there any value to the other stuff? The pillars that are not configurable by what pleases me, they're the things that the species serves. You know, we serve water. We serve it. We don't have the water and air. You know, we can't get warm. We're finished. So what about that? Is there a link to what we need to do? Or is that all a fiction? And it really is whatever you do has no negative impact as long as you're doing it your own happiness, and it has a holistic, healthy thing. Do you follow where I'm going? I think so. And I think really the, the question really comes down to the does is society... Uh, given social engineering through centralized government, or is it a free market of, of individuals making choices as long as those choices are not harming others? And that America is predicated on the premise of freedom. But we also do have, what you, here's another phrase, Travis, the immutable principles. Is, is that just made up? Because people are like, there's no such thing as an immutable principle, or is the immutable principle, yes, you must have shelter. If you don't have adequate shelter, You'll die, and that'll be horrible for the town. Your body will rot. You know, when you start from the ground up with a civilization, do you need some things that are not up to you? You grow up one day and you go, oh, well, this is what we do. And you go, well, I don't want that. Well, sorry. You have to do it or else everybody, 
or there's none of that. That's what you're calling Marxism. If you bump into stuff that you have to do, contrary to maybe your nature, your inclination. Well, when I, when I refer to Marxism, I'm referring to the use of government to force a redistribution. And marital Marxism forces the redistribution. For example, if you have 10 men and 10 women, and nine of those men are jerks, the imposed marital Marxism of one man, one woman has taken the choice and freedom away of, the ni of nine of those women to choose the good man. But if you allow laissez-faire free market economics and allow those women a choice, they'll choose the good man. But not only, not only is that a good thing, but what that really does is that incentivizes the other nine men who realize, oh my goodness, I better grow up because now they can't settle. Now they get the choice. Now I better grow up. And then they do, and that gives better men for the women to choose, what equilibrates anyway. So really... But you know what the, the, the other side is going to ask, I think it's legitimate. When the first girl picks him, and then the rest of them want him, because he's the one good guy, right? Mm -hmm. Do any of them really have him? If you got him with four other gals, do I have this guy? Is he my life companion, or is he the group's companion? And if I'm lucky enough to die last, I can have them, but you know, I don't have them like my mom had dad, he was there, that was it, you know, she knew what she had, I don't know, what happens if, you know, her needs emerge, but he's really sincerely in the middle of the other one's needs, you know, one's delivering a baby, one's got pneumonia, you know, I mean, sure, I, I think that really, help me navigate that, because I'm interested, but it seems like this is, again, like too much for one person, well, well, I think that, that one could, especially as with so much imposed one man, one woman, we have had cultural indoctrination so that it, it's, more, it's much akin to a fourth grade math student not being able to comprehend Ph.D. calculus. I knew you were going to say that's good for you. You know what? That is the argument. The argument is if you keep opening up human potential to these enormous questions, human potential will gradually adhere to the, the problem and find itself a role, rather than somebody saying, well, this is the way this should work out ahead of time. Fascinating. Now, what happens when you go around the country? How different is the reaction, say, in the last year or two, compared to, say, five years ago, or even, you know, the beginning of gay marriage, I think, was like, oh, two, oh, three, it was really educated. Are you feeling a movement in this dynamic, or is it a big behemoth? Well, I do think that there is a positive movement. The it is always ironic, because actually, the uh, unlike the same-sex marriage, which comes from the tends to come from the supporters of the left, uh, the promotion for UCAP. If you call one man one woman O M O W and call same-sex marriage S S M, then for us it's UCAP, unrelated consenting adult polygamous. And for UCAPs, we uh, you know pretty much come from a very pro-marriage, pro-family perspective. So much so that few can seem to, to understand it and seem to always end up reverting to the salacious. So even so, it's ironic then that all these would-be conservatives talk about themselves as if they're prophets because of uh, Santorum back in 2003 saying, you know, with that it's going to lead to polygamy. But the, the, the irony of it is, is that 
uh, Santorum merely using Justice Scalia's dissent in Romer v. Evans of 96 and, of course, uh, Scalia's dissent in 2003. And then, if conservatives use the conservative Scalia's dissent argument then and actually make the case and it survives, then suddenly the conservatives are calling Santorum as, as a so-called prophet, but the reality is it's conservatives using a conservative argument that conservative Scalia made. <laughs> Everything you're saying, and Scalia, boy, he is, you know, a study in psychology as well. This pressing on the freedom button, right? Like every time that somebody feels hemmed in. The per- now, I'm looking here and I'm thinking, all right, you know, 10, 20 years down the line, what would this look like if, say, one fifth of the kind of 20% factor in America? I don't know why we always grab that, but. It's enough to make a big difference, and it's not merely a majority, but it's a solid uh, swath of America. Yeah, go ahead. How does that uh, play out? If it becomes, if you find a level that's pronounced in the American uh, landscape. Now, do you mean 20% support or 20% practicing polygamists? Right, as I'm saying, if you look down the line and we have a a 20% practicing uh, I, to be honest with you, I don't see there being a 20% of the population practicing. That, you know, just because just because you have a choice doesn't mean you're going to take it. Well, how, all right, so where would it be starting from? What do you think, if people were not on the record, couldn't get in trouble, that the, or the biggest number of possible practicing polygamy uh, could be today? A 1%, a half percent, a quarter of a percent? It, it, would, probably be, it would probably reach those types of numbers, because here's, here's what happens. Is that really what it is about is about men growing up to an extremely high level, and that's why it's so incomprehensible for so many people. And actually, our most vocal opponents tend to be other guys, because very often smart women actually get it. Because what we're talking about is intelligent women making a choice. For example, a high career woman. You know what? Do this. What is their biggest benefit? What do women get? realize they get uh, for the ones who get it. What's their biggest upside to being one of three, one of four? Go ahead. Well, freedom of choice to be able to have more freedom to do their particular individual choices. Women have a different approach to each other than guys do. I mean, guys are more like, you know, the the testosterone little boy peeing contest. Um, And women, men... For example, one woman might want the freedom of choice to be a high career, and she knows she has to be away at times, and another woman might want the freedom of choice to be a stay-at-home mom, and equal, both women are equally valuable as full-on women and full intelligence and so forth, but the woman who needs to travel away once in a while for her high career can know that her children are being cared for and loved for by a woman who cares and loves those children rather than shipping them off to some low-paid stranger, which itself, if anything's immoral, that's more immoral than the idea of having a woman who loves the children caring for them in a polygamous marriage. So this, women know that they can actually have their their their, their children being uh, additionally taken care of and cared for. They get to make choices, and also, you know, the idea that you know that it, that it, it's not about some guy dominating women. You know, it, it, it's funny to me that the same people that will suggest that. Uh, that one man with multiple women, that these multiple women wouldn't be able to gang up on him, that there's somehow, you know, these these little wilting violet, shrinking violets. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. right. You know, where, where, but somehow they then think, well, you better make sure that a woman can have multiple men. Well, wait a minute. If one man can be so overpowering multiple women, then what is the circumstance with so many men with just one woman? Talk about overpowering a woman. Make up your mind. <laughs> 
You know what? This is the second time now that I've heard you allude to this point. And, you know, the word is husband. And when you husband your resources, that means they are your resources that you're husbanding. So from a woman's standpoint, there is something to that. But on the other side, when you think of a multi polygamous uh, uh, household, we do think, as you mentioned earlier, you know, maybe one's doing the laundry, one's making the peanut butter with jelly. But modern polygamy would certainly include the executive man, who, like the executive dude, is out of town, who knows, in 10 days in St. Louis to close that deal. And he comes back, right? So there's that freedom. Would she be free? Or no, she'd be cheating if she had an affair or, or took, and that's the wrong word, if she took a lover in her business world because she travels all the time. She's a regional VP. How could that could work, right? Or it could not. Well, well, we are talking about polygamy from a standpoint of marriage. You know, when you go into that type of direction, now you're talking more of a polyamory and whatever the consenting adults define for that particular relationship. But from a standpoint of polygamous marriage, there is a fidelity. For example, the man himself is not going out philandering. I mean, this is a situation where all the women already agree to the circumstance of a woman joining the family. The So it wouldn't be where she would be going out to taking on a lover and all that type of thing, because it would be, it's not through the impact of law, but rather through the dynamics of the relationship that when everybody got together, we agreed, as a family, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to be philandering. We're not going to be going out and having affairs and so forth. That's just not how we, we operate. We are committed to each other as a family, doing our individual choices. So it's not a dictatorial thing, but it is a mutually agreed construct of the contractual arrangements of the polygamous marriage. So, you know, really, when it comes to the individual women, you know, and, and a man husbanding them, as you use that word, to really to understand is every single woman is a unique and special individual, and she has her own bucket of needs that she needs filled, whether they are spiritual, psychological, emotional, physical, and so forth. And when that bucket is filled, that's She's fine and, and happy, and so the and when she, that as long as her bucket's being filled, if he's filling another woman's bucket of needs as well, then that takes nothing away from her bucket. It's only the yeah, cultural man. indoctrination. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. I, I remember high school and the seventies. This is the toughest sell, right there. Now maybe it is indoctrination, and maybe it is all the you know everybody has like a deep ethnic background too. You know we have some church, some Judaism, something new. But man alive, that is the one right there. So, do you then discount, or just say it's a variety of, the total commitment? You know, there's the whole thing about marriage, originally, when we first hear about it, is, you know, the two become one. Her problems are his problems. And if he's got three sets that he's married to, could he really service them you know, her three buckets, if you will, your, your phrase, uh, sufficiently and consistently over a lifetime. Because it's tricky, whether it's one or three, it's tricky. Personality matches. People change. You're just talking about philandering, right? It's absolutely not inside when everybody's cool, but man, the first person that is kind of uncool, it's going to be, you know, you cheat, you've cheated on three women. You know, you've done something wrong. You you blow your paycheck at the bar, you've insulted everybody. 
you know, what about that enormity of responsibility issue? You know, that it's more than one person could really... A bucket of needs, sure. But the old concept is these two people are now a single unit. What about that? Well, on both sides of the explanation, you've got multiple people, not just one and two people, but now you've got more than one person who has your back. And and vice versa. So you've got a team effort. Yeah, to protect it, to stand, you know what I mean. Yes. Or half and half good and bad in the world. Now you really have variables. One last thing we haven't touched on, I'm, I'm keeping you way too long. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Uh, for those of you just joining us, let me get you also to follow in this last segment. Uh, our guest, Mark Henkel. I can get a hold of him. NationalPolygamyAdvocate.com TruthBearer.org There is this uh, polygamy family on TLC. You know, those shows to me, it's hard for me to accept. I get the feeling those producers will put anything on that they figure will get traction. I don't use a show like the TLC, like I guess others would, to see how it is. I'd rather talk to you and and get some, some real answers, so thanks for that. One last category, kids. What's the challenge, upside, uh, uh, upside, uh, downside of, you know, the adolescents, 11, figuring out, birds and the bees, and now, you know, this is the mom that birthed me, but this one did help me with my uh, schoolwork, this one does cook for me, they all call me their son, you know, help with that, what, what should the public understand about kids that grow up in a, uh, a polygamous household? Well, children simply know that they're being loved. You know, not... Now, let me let me back up, and I'm talking about UCAP, Unrelated Consenting Adult Polygamy, and generally from the normal uh, standard type of paradigm of not modern Western mainstream America pers- living around the country. Now, I recognize, for example, very often you will see there is the this, there's different kinds of polygamy: secular polygamy, Christian polygamy, Jewish polygamy, Mormon polygamy, Muslim polygamy, and so forth. And specifically, Mormon polygamy does have the premise of a doctrine that does motivate having children and children and children. And so that's why often you will see lots and lots and lots of children in these polygamous families that are Mormon polygamous. But around the country, most families are not Mormon polygamous and do not have the religious compulsion for so many children. So there may only be a one, two, three, or a handful of children. There may not be as many as that. Uh, that it's only within the Mormon paradigm that they have the reason for having so many children. But other, other paradigms don't have that requirement. So within that understanding... Around the country, most you know, most Americans that are that are involved in unrelated consenting adult polygamy, you know, there will be a smaller handful of children, and these children know that they're loved. That it's not a, you know, especially if they've grown up their entire life, because sometimes you know it may be well, some children have grown up for a few years, and then maybe a, an abandoned single mom joins a family, and so she actually brings you know, sort of a hers, theirs, and ours type of a circumstance. Uh, comes joins together as a blended family, and and they grow up. And that what they realize is that they've got multiple adults supporting and loving them, and they they come to understand the different personalities and dynamics and support mechanisms that they get from each and love each. I would just worry, right, that when they're young, there's all kinds of these sensitive things that go along with kids, right? You know, the boogeyman, all this kind of stuff that we've heard. And again, I love contrasting what we hear and what we say. Um, you know that even absenteeism could, could 